great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. All right, Stump, episode 87, I'm going to crack my drink. 87, happy new year. Break. <laughs> it was all right. Pretty quiet. A little under the weather, unfortunately. Say lovey. You got my my cough. I passed it on. To oh, me. I've had I've had a cough forever. It seems like everybody's passing it around. So, but I'm like ninety percent better. Thank goodness. Yeah, I've had that cough for weeks now. Weeks. I mean, it's fine most of the day. Yeah. If I do uh-huh. some exercise, it'll, it'll kick up once I stop exercising. Even kicks in when I try to go to sleep at night. Yeah, it's weird. I, I didn't have a fever or anything, but I had like full body aches, stomach pain, all kinds of weird stuff going on. But so put a sort of put a crimp in my uh, my outdoor adventure plans over the last few weeks. Yeah. Santa, good to you. Do you get any good presents? A couple little things, nothing major. You know, me and the missus uh, played it pretty low key this year. But I got a new razor, electric razor. <laughs> so I can shave my head That's in good. like 30 seconds flat. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, it's pretty depressing when you get older, like you don't get present. I got an Eddie Bauer like flannel shirt and I got a, um, I forget what else did I get? Like maybe socks or something. And that was it. We were in Florida though. So we did, we toured like the Kennedy yeah. Space Center and did all that stuff. So I, I'd rather have experiences than stuff at this point. Yeah. Well, Mrs. Stomp's down in Florida right now, actually. She's planning on hitting uh, Disney tomorrow. She's down with her family. I just couldn't get the time off. So, uh, But yeah, she's going to hit uh, Disney. And um, I guess the weather's been pretty good. And she's missing all the rain and snow up here. It's like, what a nightmare. Yeah. It's, it's such a mess up here. Good for her. It's going to be magical. I was thinking about her on my time off because I was listening to a fair amount of podcasts when we were flying and going for walks mm. and stuff. And I discovered that there is a cat cult. There's a cult that's dedicated to cats. And I thought that that would be like a perfect Creepy. religion for you and Mrs. Stomp. <laughs> a religion? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Are you, are you on the market for a new religion? No, no, I'm, I'm good. But uh, tell, do tell me more. Uh, it's a cult. It's, it's a, um, so the, I'll put this in the show notes, but there is this podcast called the opportunist. And it's all about these stories about like people, the normal people that, um, take up turn for the worst and they, they basically take advantage of people. So, um, mm-hmm. they have a four part series on a lady by the name of Cheryl Ruthven mm-hmm. who started out, I think she was like a member of a Pentecostal church. So Pentecost are, or Pentecostal is like they speak in tongues and then all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's supposed to be like really interesting, like religious ceremonies, singing and dancing and all kinds of stuff. But she was a member of a congregation. Mm. She ended up becoming like one of the preachers, had a falling out with one of the, the heads of that church and ended up taking like all of the parishioners to a new church. She was out in Washington State. Somehow she like got... You know, she got way into it and it turned into a cult. So she started doing all this new age stuff or whatever. But she came up with this like thing where 
she explained to her followers that in order for the like the it's the same deal like the end times are coming the world is going to end so everyone's convinced that the world's going to end so she moved everyone from Washington to Tennessee I think and then when they got to Tennessee she convinced everybody that I guess there's a verse in the Bible where it says like like um everyone's going to disappear except for 144,000 people and um, so she basically just said to everybody that in order for you to be one of the 144,000 people that survives on earth, you need to make sure that you have a bunch of cats in your house because the angels that come down to save the people are going to... Like cats? They're, they're, um, they're going to go through the souls of the cats. So basically, like when everything goes bad... The angels are going to come down and save 144,000 people. The way they're going to get down there is through the souls of the cats. And then the cats are going to decide who gets to survive the apocalypse. So basically she's just making sure that like all her followers have like 40 or 50 cats in their house at any one time. And she started like a, um, like a cat sanctuary as well. So, so she's hedging her bets. I guess as many cats as possible. Exactly, exactly. But I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about you and Mrs. Stomp, and then I was like thinking, like, isn't it ironic? Like, if the world came to an end, like you and Mrs. Stomp could rely on Daphne to make the decision on whether or not you, you know, disappear or if you get to, you know, stay on, stay on Earth. You guys are goners. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I think the Bible also says, yeah, yeah. The Bible also says, beware of false prophets. This lady sounds like one of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course. But I just think it's pretty cool. Like, if you're going to join a cult, you might as well join a cat cult. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anyway. <laughs> if, you're in the, if you're in the market. Anyway, that was a little bit of a tangent. But the um, the podcast is called The Opportunist, and I'll link it in the show notes. But anyhow, hmm, that's the holidays. That's what I was doing was listening to podcasts about cat cults. <laughs> Nothing about hiking or anything like that. <laughs> no. no. Oh boy. <laughs> so you went down south though, right? You were in Florida for what? Two weeks? Um a week, a little over a week. So yeah. Yeah. Just chilling nice. on the beach, walking, going to the Kennedy Space Center, going out to eat, getting coffee. Mm-hmm. It's pretty relaxing. You getting your jogging in? Not much, not much. I had this, no. I had this cough going on, but I, I've been running the last couple of days. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, the snow sort of put a crimp on my uh, plans. You know, I was running that um, out to Osceola Trailhead. Mm-hmm. Now it's it's packed uh, for snow. Uh, I mean Nordic. It's packed for Nordic skiing. So sort of shut the door on that. I don't have those small compact like Dion snowshoes for running, but I was considering it, but I don't know. I don't know. Now that I'm feeling better, I want to get back and uh, all the, all the roads are dry as a bone around here at the moment. So I'm hoping to get back out there running again. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was just up uh, a couple of days ago hiking and uh, it feels like early spring. We'll talk about that in a little bit more detail, but the snowmobile yeah. stuff must be like, there's nothing going on at this point, right? Oh yeah, it's it's dead. The um the owner of uh, Northern Extremes told me this morning that they're they're if he was a, a betting man, it would be January twentieth before Bretton Woods opens. <clears throat> and uh, I have it listed here, but the uh, New Hampshire Bureau of Trails is basically saying that the uh, 
the trails are closed Damn. at this point, essentially. Yeah. Damn. Another I mean, weird. Gotta, yeah, super weird. Yeah, weirder than most. I mean, last year was sort of a wash, but this this is really getting delayed. Wow. All right. Well, super frustrating. I'll be. I'm. I'm hoping for a couple of storms. I was hopeful, but but anyway. Um, stop. You put together, and again, I've been talking about like putting merchandise together. So I'm. I'm going to give feedback, and I probably should shut my mouth because I'm too lazy to actually do do something. And you actually did do something. Um, <laughs> but we do have, um, slasher merchandise. So, um, there's a link tree on our Instagram. I'm going to po- post some stuff on Facebook as well. If you want to buy gear, you can get t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, whatever you want. Um, on there. Stomp went a little wild with the, the merchandise. Oh, yeah. 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 One and done. Like just do it. Just throw everything up there. Leave it alone. <laughs> Yeah, I did some research. I mean, it's up. It's all all the stuff is up on Cafe Press, which is sort of old school, probably for that type of thing. But I just, uh, I just couldn't find anything else for the moment. So we're doing some more research. But uh, you get a whole bunch of stuff up there. So people were asking. So I just wanted to get folks off my back. So you get stickers. You get all kinds of crazy stuff up there. So. Yep, whatever you want to buy. Uh, there's a ton of merchandise on there. So, and again, I didn't want to get into this like offline. I just I feel more comfortable like addressing this live on the show because I, I don't know why it feels like it's less awkward. But like any merchandise that you put up there that has a picture of me, we need to get rid of. <laughs> yeah. Like nobody wants to buy a photo of me. Like my kids are making fun of me. They're like, oh, dad, he put up like a um, a, a legal notebook with your your photo on it. Like we could buy one of those. And I was like, I have to have a conversation with him. Yeah. I, I partly did that out of curiosity. Like who yeah. would actually do that? So that's, that was more of a test. Like yeah. let's put some bizarre stuff up there and see how crazy some of these listeners are. Yeah. Less is more stop. Less is more. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Very good. Um, all right. Mm. So one of the good things I think about um, not having the snowmobile stuff going on stomp is we got the buddy hike coming up on the 14th. I'm going to actually. Yeah, it um, shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Tomorrow I'm going to actually get the emails out to everybody and um, we're going to be hiking Mount Pierce on January 14th. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but mm. we're excited to get um, some new hikers out there. I think there's a bunch of people that signed up that don't have a lot of winter hiking experience. So it should be fun. Yeah. Sounds good. Oh, I had a picture of this gal here, Rebecca Schubert, but I can give you the background on this little story that's listed up there. Um, oh, I'm jumping ahead, aren't I? Yes. I'm just so antsy. Calm I haven't down. done this in a while. I'm out of practice. Settle down. <laughs> yeah, but back to the buddy hike. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, hopefully I won't have to work, but uh, it's shaping up as if it'll be open. Yes. But next up is uh, advertising with Slasher. What do you want to talk about here? Well, I mean, we are up and running. Uh, there's a whole bevy of different advertising options and uh, things that uh, we're offering to anybody that wants to tap into the Slasher audience. And, uh, you know, we're rolling in some pretty good numbers week to week. So we have a few folks that signed on and uh, we're looking forward to having more um, advertisers join us over the next several weeks and months and uh, we'd be glad to have you. So if you are interested in advertising with us, just drop an email to slasher podcast, S-L-A-S-R podcast at gmail.com and uh, we'll set you up with all the information. So it's pretty exciting. 
It is. It is. Advertise yeah. with us if you want. We'll give you a nice spot and you'll get tons of people inquiring. So good time, Stomp. Um, the next thing yeah. here is um, you've got a link about mallet finger. And this actually, so mallet finger, like mallet, like a hammer. And this actually piqued my interest because I have one of these. I don't think I've okay, ever talked to Okay, that's really interesting. This. I have one. Well, I have a brand new one now. That's, I don't know if you can see it on the um, Oh, yeah. Look at Stomp has a broken finger. It's his middle finger, too. So he's chucking me the middle yeah, finger. Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like I can't do anything right now. I can't floss my teeth. I can't yeah. do, oh, uh, it's like my left hand, too. Yeah, I didn't know if I had talked about this, but um, it was so nasty. I was trying to get a, a spot off of a piece of rug. And mallet finger, essentially, you hyperflex the tip of one of your fingers. And I heard a pop immediately. And that, to me, means avulsion fracture. So basically what happens is uh, it, the ligament survives, but it rips a piece of bone off the tip of your finger. So immediately your, your, the tip of your finger droops. So you have to stabilize it in a straight position for like eight to 10 weeks. I mean, in some cases, I guess, from what I've read, you, you can do surgery, but the outcomes are pretty similar, uh, whether you do surgery or not. So what a nightmare. When did you, you get yours? Oh, God. Like probably, the, I probably had mine like 12 years ago. I used to uh, ref yeah. high school wrestling. So I, when the kids were younger, I used to coach high school wrestling and then... Mm -hmm. um, I just couldn't did the time commitment, so I got into refing, and I ref for about five six years. Had a kid uh, heavyweight like this kid was probably two hundred fifty pounds, just rolled on my uh, my hand in a in a <sighs> I don't know a pinning situation or whatever, and my my yeah. I could just hear a pop, and I never really did anything to it. Eventually, I I think I just taped it up and um, kept it taped for like weeks at a time, but it was really painful and um, mm -hmm. you can sort of still see. It's not as pronounced anymore, but it basically what a mallet finger is, is like you're permanently, it's it's bent at the tip of your finger, yeah, which I see is it. weird. So Yeah. I don't know if you can see mine. See, mine's pretty straight now. Yeah. Like for the last four weeks, it was literally just drooped like 45 degrees. Yeah. So what are the odds? Both of the co-hosts of the Slasher podcast have mallet fingers. <laughs> It sounds like a new cult. Yep. We'll post pictures in the show notes for you. Um, so moving on, Stomp, uh, there is a hiker that is tackling the 100. So explain this to me. So the 100 highest is the 100 highest peaks in New Hampshire, I'm assuming. And then a lot of these peaks, like many of them are 4,000 footers, but there's a bunch that also involve bushwhacks as well. So my understanding, if I'm reading this correctly, is that Rebecca Schubert, and I think there's another person with her, maybe a guy named Matt, if I'm if I caught it correctly, they are looking to do the hundred complete the hundred high hundred highest peaks in twelve days. Is that even possible? That's what I thought it was originally, but I've been talking to other folks, and um, that it was just a, a misinterpretation of that original post. Somebody had sent it to me. And I'm, I read it the same way, like, wait a minute, she's going to do this before January 3rd. And then, of course, there was that massive trench of rainstorm that came in. And uh, come to find out, it was not a hard, you know, stop date. And um, word is that she's out there doing it now. So she's still trying to accomplish it. So best of luck. I mean, it's, these are the, the 100 highs are in New England. So it, it covers the highest throughout New England. 
Oh, it's New England. All right. I think she's doing it with another, with a hiking partner, a guy named Matt that I've been, so I've been following along on the, there's a Facebook group that, and I'll add this to the show notes called the New Hampshire 100 to 500 highest mountains. And, um, they have been moving along on a, a quite a bit. So to me, it looks like it is a single season winter New Hampshire 100 highest is what it is. So they're calling it the SSWNH 100. So single season winter New Hampshire 100. So it's not 12 days. It's the winter season. Okay. Yeah. Still, that's a hell of a an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. There's so, a bunch of stuff uh, going on, Stomp, too. That it isn't in the show notes, but there's a, and I got to talk to Mike. I think he's a guide from Redline. He's been posting mm-hmm. that there is a gentleman that he's hiking with that is doing a single season winter four thousand footer attempt over seventy years old, which I think is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So he's over seventy. He's going to do a single season winter, and then there's another guy that I follow and I got to give him a shout out because he's very good about like posting on the New England trail conditions. Liam Cooney, I don't know if you know that name or not, um, but he no. had finished, I know he's he's a young guy, he's under 30, he's previously completed the New Hampshire Red Line, the White Mountain Red Line slash Trace and then he also completed the New Hampshire 500 highest a couple of weeks ago. Um, so shout out to Liam Cooney, who is um, a pretty prolific hiker in New Hampshire. I've, I've seen him pop up quite a bit, and I see that he's on this 100, 500 highest site. I'm talking about how he finished it. Yeah, I got. I have an update here, actually, for Re- Rebecca. So she's at 23 out of 100 so far, and it's a winter single season New Hampshire 100 highest. Yep. 23 out of 100. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. The other one, yeah. while we're doing these updates of hikers that we know... Um, Rebecca Sperry, who's doing the 14-month red line, she's up over 40% completion, I think, at this point, too. Mm-hmm. So, Fantastic. Everybody's so busy completing goals and doing stuff, stomping you. You're not even hiking anymore. Me? Yeah, I just sit around and edit this podcast, and it's fun. <laughs> I got stuff going on, but anyway, so um, moving on to the next topic here, Waterville Valley Resort expansion is moving forward, Stomp, so I don't really know much about oh this. I didn't God. even know, so the Sununu family owns Waterville Valley, like the same guy that's involved, with, that's the governor right or now? Or they're invested into it, okay. yeah. I'm, I'm not sure to what degree, but they're definitely part of it somehow got it and they're heavily invested got it and then from what i'm reading then what the plan is is that they're going to have some kind of a high speed lift that goes from the village of waterville all the way up to one of the peaks of tecumseh well it gets worse than that so any any fans of some of those uh grand traverse hikes and uh, hazelton brook and this and that will be disappointed because from what I'm reading in this this article is that they're going to uh, tap into the south face of Green Mountain, which is one of the peaks along the way when you're doing the Grand Traverse from Welch Dickey. So, you, you know, if you're heading north, you come up to Foss and then over to Green Mountain. So they're planning on just, uh, you know, with in conjunction with the U.S. Forest Service, apparently, um, they're looking at making another 140 additional acres skiable. And it says here, 
15 new trails and glades on the south side of Green Peak Summit. And that's just like, to me, that's sort of heartbreaking. I mean, there's just beautiful remote terrain in there. Um, and and uh, to be honest with you, there is no south side of Green Peak, so it doesn't quite make sense. I mean, there's definitely an eastern side, and that would make sense if you were to ski back down to Waterville, but there is no real south side to Green Peak. It's sort of strange. Uh, but anyway, okay. some plans are in the work. All right. I didn't pick that up that it was going to impact hiking trails. I just oh, thought yeah. it was um, similar to like the news that Loon put in like a new lift and it was just going to be based on existing trail systems. But yeah, well, I'm sorry to hear that, that there may be some. It is a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tapping into just some really remote, beautiful stuff, um, which is a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. It's too um, bad. And. I guess something similar is happening up in Maine at Saddleback too. So there is some encroachment going on, um, you know, in conjunction with the Forest Service and these localities. So just uh, keep, an, keep an ear open and an eye open. We, everybody has a voice, you know. Interesting. Well, Always got to watch that stuff. You got to wonder whether or not, um, whether or not the expansion of these ski resorts is going to work out for them given the way that the winters have gone. Yeah, that's true too. Absolutely. I mean, most of the places right now are blowing snow. I mean, it's been cold enough for blowing, but mm. who knows? Who knows? All right. Well, moving on. Uh, next thing here, a little politics in New Hampshire. There's a bill proposal to establish May 3rd as Old Man on the Mountain Day. Pretty neat. I think it was, what, two decades ago when the Old Man collapsed? 20 years ago. Yeah. So I think it's this May would be the 20th anniversary. Yeah. I mean, this may not be popular, but from my perspective, like I remember like the old man on the mountain was like such a big deal. And I remember as a kid going there and pretending yeah. like I could see it, but I could, couldn't like, I didn't know what the hell anyone was talking about. They were like, Oh, look at it. Look at it. Look at it. And I, I remember being a kid being like, I don't see anything, but I'm just going to pretend like I see it so that my, my parents don't get sad. Mm hmm. <laughs> so yeah, good memories yeah so i mean it is what it is but yeah it's been been gone 20 years now it's sort of like get over it but i know people love it yeah yeah i'm surprised there hasn't been a, a memorial day for it already but hey it seems like um if they can get both sides of the political aisle to agree to something that's sort of a miracle in itself so maybe that's a good sign just mm-hmm. prove it yeah. All right. Stomp. So next, you had you wanted to um, talk about uh, an article that was in the Boston Globe about uh, sort of death in the mount. Oh no, this wasn't the Boston Globe. This is the Union Leader. Um, yeah. And this was sort of an interview with uh, with Ty Gagney, who's been mm-hmm. on our show before. So do you you want to talk a little bit about this? Well, just very briefly, there's been just so much talk uh, following the recent deaths of hikers in and around the region, and uh, it's drawn huge public attention and media attention, and this is a great article that uh, Ty put together with the union leader, and it touches upon some of these issues, and um, I just want to mention that we will be having Ty in 
I believe next week, if I remember correctly, or the week after, I can't remember. Um, but we will be talking about risk management and all kinds of sort of spur issues that that sort of boiled up to the surface during um, you know Emily and and this and that, whether it be social media, uh, you know the media in general, Facebook behavior, all all kinds of stuff. Um, so it should be interesting. And of course, mental health as well for all the search and rescue folks, which have been seeing quite a lot of activity lately. So it should be a really good, good conversation. I'm looking forward to it. And, and so is Ty. I miss Ty. He's a great guy. Should be nice to have him back on. Yeah. And I want to coordinate some. I have to get, I have to hike to come so for my uh, winter 4,000 footer list. That's, that's yeah. pretty cl- I want to close out the sandwich range. So I'll probably try to get in person for that one if I can get up, up to your place next week. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. Yeah, so we'll work it out. Um, and then moving on, Stomp, you've got another. And also, we're going to talk a little bit more about, like, we got a lot of search and rescue news. So there was another death on Franconia Ridge. It's been rough. Um, so we'll talk about that later on in the show. Uh, but moving on, Stomp, you have a, an article here about a crappy situation that happened in Colorado. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't resist. <laughs> There's a crappy situation in Colorado's backcountry. Too many pooping hikers. So there's basically outdoor recreational groups that are hoping to uh, curb the overflow and uh, they're handing out poop disposal kits that will cut down on the problem piling up on Colorado's public lands. Isn't that amazing? So this is out in like the uh, Crested Butte area. They have this PACT light, which is this easy to use tool for disposing human waste in the backcountry. It's got a small shovel, um, biogradable sheets of toilet paper, hand sanitizer, and this and that. And uh, they're hoping that this will take care of some of uh, the poop on the trails. It's such a shame that people just don't take care of themselves after, uh, you know, going on the trails. It's not very difficult. When nature calls, you know... Yeah, I hear you. Have everything you need. But so this is a kit. So for the listeners, we'll link this in the show notes. But this is a kit. There's like a... It's like a shovel-looking thing, but it's not like... It's sort of like a circular tube with an opening on the end. It's almost like you cut a tube diagonal, and then it looks like you can dig from there. And then there's like this weird little pill thing, and then these other little smaller pills. Like, I don't even know what any of this stuff is. Like, how are you supposed to clean up stuff? Explain this to me. Well, apparently there's tissue paper tucked in there as well, so... You can store your toilet paper in there, but you can also dig a you know a six inch deep hole for the yeah. feces. And yeah, I mean it's actually a pretty good idea. It's pretty compact. Um, I could imagine packing it in my pack. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, is it is it for sale? So she's do. I have no idea. I mean, look, if you, I don't, I don't know how much detail we want to get into here, but if you've got, if nature calls on the on the, on the trail, like trust me, this happens to me frequently because I have a system where I'm like, you know, I'm loading up on coffee before I go on my hike, and inevitably you get a mile in and nature will call. But there's these like metal. I'll link them in the show notes. There's like a little metal shovel that you can use, and you just dig that up, and then. You know, I, I don't know personally, but like I would presume that you would want to aim for the hole and then cover it up with dirt and leaves and then move on to your hike. You know, obviously you go way off trail so no one can see you, but it's just, I don't know why, it seems like people overthink this stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
Do you ever have situations on trail stomp? Oh yeah, definitely. But I mean, I take the effort to dispose of it properly. I mean, it's, it's not rocket science. You just dig a hole and bury it after. I don't know. I just like, it's just so, so nasty these days. There's so many people on trail that just don't know any better and they just leave their stuff everywhere. It's, it is getting gross, it's even out around here. We we just had a big blow up in the town. Uh, we have a town, the town Facebook page. And yeah. <laughs> this guy is so funny. Like, there's like three or four perpetual topics that always come up. First of all, it was like, there's a helicopter. What's going on? Secondly, yeah. there is, um, you know, pedestrians in the crosswalk and speeding cars. Like that's always like the big drama. And then the other one is the dog poop. <laughs> it's either like people aren't bagging their mm-hmm. dog poop or they're bagging their dog poop, but they're leaving it in the, tr- you know, in the woods and not picking it up. But this is a new one. Like this guy was freaking out because one of his neighbors like bagged the dog poop, but it was trash day. So they had the trash barrels out at the end of the driveway. They had already picked the trash up, but this guy hadn't picked, he hadn't pulled his trash barrel in yet. So the neighbor had the dog poop in a bag and he decided to put the dog poop in the guy's trash barrel. And the guy apparently saw this happen. I don't know why he wouldn't have confronted his neighbor and just said, I don't want your dog poop in the bottom of my trash barrel. Personally, I don't care. It's a trash barrel. I don't care what's in there. Uh, But he decided to go on this big rant on the Facebook page saying how rude it was. And it's like half the town is complaining that it's rude and the other half is like, get over it. So, I don't know. It's a lot of drama with poop. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> anyway, well, let's That's get back crazy. to hiking topic here, Stomp. So, you got one one other thing here. There are rangers in the Adirondacks that are fining people for not using traction properly. So, can you explain this to me? Can you explain this to the listeners? What, what, what goes on in the Adirondacks that people are getting fined for hiking? It's very interesting. This was December 20th, and it was through the It's a Cat Skills podcast. And um, this one person, you can't see their name, it was blacked out, but uh, they wrote this little brief thing. It said, obviously, we all know snowshoes beyond eight inches. Well, I hiked Cascade today, and the rangers were waiting at the trailhead on my descent. They were giving out $250 tickets for anyone who was not wearing snowshoes. Just another incentive to be prepared. I could not find confirmation on whether or not this was actually happening or not, but certainly a punitive measure (laughs) would... uh, Bolster compliance, I think. Wow, very interesting. Yeah, it's it's super interesting. Yeah, we gotta get I gotta get Stash on the show for an episode. Um, He's so yeah, he it's the um, Inside the Lines Catskill podcast. So this is where this came from, and we we know the host there. So um, apparently in the Adirondacks, they have a rule where if if there's more than eight inches of snow on the ground, that you have to wear snowshoes. You can't wear spikes even if the trail is like packed down and stuff so it's kind of foreign Hmm. to us in the white mountains but um obviously i don't think now they can enforce that because all the snow is gone yeah true yeah It, it, it the question for me with all these things how do you enforce these things you know um and it sounds like this person was descending so were they just coming out of the trail into the parking lot yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, is there eight inches of snow in the parking lot? I mean, it just seems somewhat arbitrary. Yeah, it just seems like a very slippery slope. I guess, I guess you could do it when yeah. it's 
you know, it's been a lot of snow and whatnot, but it would be useless around here at this point right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, you couldn't. Do you have, like, a personal rule of thumb when you're out hiking, Stomp, about, like, when you'll wear snowshoes versus uh, spikes? Uh, it's, It's a matter of depth, you know, historical depth. Like like you said, right now, you're not going to need them anywhere pretty much at this point. But if there was a, uh, a substantial uh, layering up above tree line, for instance, then yeah, I'd, I'd pack them. But it's, uh, you know, I, I think we try to tell people to bring everything just so that you can swap out if you need to. But no hard, fast rule, that's for sure. Yeah, I generally will. If you're sinking at all snowshoes... Um, if the trail is sure. packed down really well and there's no chance of you doing any sort of post holing, then I typically will have a bias towards just wearing spikes. Mm-hmm. The tricky part is, is that when you do commit to spikes and even if the trail is packed down, like every once in a while, like you might fall in and do a post hole and then... At a certain point, yeah. you know, if you're doing one every hundred feet or every couple hundred feet, it's kind of like, am I going to really stop and switch over to snowshoes? So it mm-hmm. is a tricky thing, but essentially, like, it has to be really well packed down before I'll just commit to, to spikes. Um, but the conditions at this point are so bad. There's such bare trails, really, that, you know, really there's no no use for snowshoes where I was going. I'll talk about where I hiked recently, but... Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's interesting. So yeah. don't don't uh, don't forget your snowshoes in the Adirondacks. Moving on, Stomp. There's a new Instagram site which is called White Mountain Mishaps, which I feel like the the, the people that started this group should be paying us for the idea. <laughs> True. Yeah, they asked for a plug, and I, I <laughs> shared it up on the Instagram story. And uh, I'm not sure who's behind it, but they were appreciative, and uh, some of the posts are pretty funny. Good stuff. So it was yeah. just. Spread the uh, the wealth, spread the information out there. Yeah, so it is um, at White Mountain Mishaps with no spaces. Mm-hmm. And um, it looks like they post like one, one or two stories a week or something. So they're soliciting stories. So if you've done something really dumb or, or you've gotten yourself into a predicament, then I think you can send in like a photo and then a story and they'll post it on their Instagram. Okay, and then... we get a lot here. Yeah. Yeah, so we're like 40 minutes in already. So I'm looking at this next spread here. This is the section that I call the uh, Quest for Utopia section, but let's just skim through it quick because this is just too much. Um, There, the With the storm that we had up here, Mm -hmm. um, the, the bomb cyclone, I guess there were some reports of the EV cars having more issues. And um, I, I, I fell down a deep rabbit hole and uh, ended up watching um, this guy named Siddharth Kata, who wrote a book about the cobalt mining operations that are digging up the uh, cobalt for the cars. And uh, it's it's a hell of a watch, man. There's some really interesting stuff going on. Um, highly recommended. Um, and then then I, I saw the, this whole thing with the chat GPT. Two issues. I don't know if you saw this, but this is actually really interesting. So two issues. It data mines, essentially. So it doesn't know the difference if it's actually looking at fiction or somebody's you know, fictional work or whatever. So it may actually give you information that could be inaccurate or a lie even. And then the second issue is that I guess there are cases now popping up where 
whoever's behind the algorithms are starting to tweak the algorithms to meet you know certain narratives and stuff. So it's sort of the same old nonsense that some of these other companies are doing, which is sort of discouraging to me. Uh, I guess it goes against the whole idea that ChatGPT is this autonomous beast that's sentient and doing its own thing. I guess it is a couple errors that they're still trying to work out. Yeah, and I think I I've been using it a fair amount. Um, yeah, you know the way I've the the use case that I found most. And what we're talking about is Chat GPT, and I'll I'll link this in the show notes. It's an AI tool. You can essentially just use it to say like, okay, write an email about some topic, or write me an essay about some topic, or you know find a a, a, a recipe for whatever. You can use it for a million different things, and it'll actually output results. I typically will use it for writing stuff when it comes to work or an email or whatever, and I'll use it as a starting point to say like, okay, this is like the basic outline of what I want to communicate, and then I just sort of tweak it, edit it, and make it my own. Um, so I think that's the best use case that I've found for it, but I think that it's going to continue to grow. But you're right. I mean, it can be controlled like everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um and then, they, then I fell into this thing. Everybody's probably heard of this from now, but uh, Roomba was taking pictures of people on toilets and just in <laughs> awful situations at their home. Did you hear about this? No, but I, I, I've seen those Roombas before, so I get it. <laughs> Jesus. Like they're, they're spying on you through your Roomba. Oh, man. And of course, all this is giving rise to this new movement, the Luddites. The Luddites are back. I mean, the rise of the Luddites, it's a, a younger generation is just saying no to all this technology and uh, computerization and whatnot. So it's pretty interesting. It's like the counterculture, I suppose, to all the, uh, the AI advancement and stuff. Yeah, it would be interesting to see how big of a movement that can become. Um, True. I just don't, I can't imagine any of my kids like putting their phones down, but it'd be great to see it, mm-hmm. see it happen. Yeah. Yeah. All right, what else you got? Oh, man, we're almost at the show summary. Well, pop culture talk, I mean, Avatar's out there now. There was one thing that was really interesting. Um, James Cameron was doing his big thing, but uh, there's apparently a new study out there that proves that Jack Dawson of Titanic would have died no matter what during that scene at the end where Jack and, um, what was her name? Rose, Rose. Um, Rose, yes, yes, thank you. When she was laying on that wooden plank, uh, there was apparently no way that Jack would have survived. They could not have sat up on top of it or this and that. And Cameron's pretty adamant about it. It's like, we tried everything and there's no outcome that would have saved Jack. (laughs) Poor guy. Yeah, I mean, I got a big beef with Rose, and I've seen, like, there's a comedian that does a bit on this, but, like, Rose, not only did she not save Jack when she could have shared a little bit more of her space, but this woman went home with a diamond that was worth hundreds of millions of dollars, got married to some guy, presumably this guy went to work every day to earn money to give her a good Mm -hmm. life. Meanwhile, she's sitting yeah. on this diamond that's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And then she gets old, goes on some trip, throws it in the ocean. Like that poor guy Whee! that married her, like he, he, <laughs> he killed himself to give her a great life. And she was sitting on all this money the whole time. Mm. Yep. I got a big problem with Rose. <laughs> anyway, um, so Stomp, I got a couple of shows I watched on Netflix. I watched 1899. It's okay, but you got to pay attention to it. It's one of those like ones you got to Google everything because you, you, there's all kinds of hints. There's a show called yeah. Letter to the King, which is based on a, like a uh, a Danish 
fantasy story from the 1960s. It was okay. Okay. And now right now I'm watching, there's a Witcher prequel, which I like so far. So I think. Yeah. I actually started watching that too. The Witcher one. Pretty interesting. Yeah. I like that one. Not bad. I like that one. Um, But the other ones I'm just sort of middle of the road on. But anyway, uh, coffee donations, any, any advertisers stomp? What do you want to do? Yeah, we have uh, Naomi and Bruce donated five coffees. Thank you. Catherine EC donated five, and she just said, I love your podcast. Uh, Jeff, Full Strength Coffee Thanos, uh, donated five, and he uh, sent us Merry Christmas wishes. And then Katana donated five coffees as well. Thank you very much for those donations. It's much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And any advertisers? Mm. Did you do any advertisers? Yeah, they're coming up. Okay, very good. Um, so welcome yep. to episode 87 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, um, we kick off this episode with a discussion on some recent hikes in the White Mountains, along with a short history lesson about the trail systems in the Wanalancet Outdoor Club area. Uh, later in the show, we have a large backlog of search and rescue news to cover, including a recent fatality on Franconia Ridge. Um, I'll cover that story along with a number of other incidents, and we'll look to get Stomp's perspective on what's going on in the world of search and rescue. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Let's get started. Yeah. And this uh, drink section uh, is just going out to our supporter uh, at Reckless Brewing, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun. Just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, many 4,000 footers, and less than 10 minutes from the Five Corners. And we'll see you there uh, after that Pierce hike. Yeah, January 14th, we're going to be there. So. Yeah. Very Absolutely. Good. I may buy like a, a t-shirt on our merchandise site with your picture on it, Stomp. <laughs> you got to get the uh, free Daphne. I mean, that's a popular one. Yes, that's a good one too. Um, all right, mm. what are you drinking, Stomp? Anything good? Just a little bit of kombucha, uh, lemon and ginger. Um, just still trying to recover. This stuff has been really good um, just for recovery. I'm definitely in the kombucha kick at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I love the ginger. You get anything? I love the ginger. No, I'm actually amazing. Yeah. I've been drinking, a, I've been eating too much Chinese food and drinking a few too many beers. So I've still been <laughs> sick. So I just, I'm trying to be healthy. Um, made a Rachel from friends salad last night for my wife and I'm just drinking water right now. <laughs> Oh, that's great! Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did. Uh, we did uh, open up Baby Monster, by the way. So, it was last Friday, the the thirtieth of December, and it uh, it was really pretty surprising. It tasted pretty good. A little bit of like a a hoppy aftertaste, but it was it was sort of hard to put a label on it. I mean, it was given to us as an American pale ale, but I honestly couldn't really put it in that category. It tastes a little different, but uh, came out pretty good. So, yeah. well, Baby Monster yeah. for the listeners who may not have caught that show or don't remember, um, Stomp and Mrs. Stomp did, got like a homemade brewing kit. So they have this like yeah. big bottle. It's like almost like a like a water jug type thing, and they um, they made this beer and apparently drank it, and it doesn't taste like it was supposed to, but it tasted interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. <laughs> I love the name Baby Monster Brewing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty silly. I mean, it's more or less a, a nod to Daphne, who's just nuts. All right. Um, so, Stomp, any recent hikes for you? No. No, so, go nuts. I got to get out there. 
So nothing from the, since the time we had our last show, we recorded our last show on or around like the first week of, or second week of December, and you haven't gone on a hike since. So it's been like three, four weeks. Correct. Yes, I was doing some running, but no hiking. And I have to get ready for a uh, like a winter shakedown coming up soon, so I better get moving. Yeah. And then being sick didn't help. It's been like two weeks. So yeah. it's been a weird time. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. So, and it's weird. Like I tested for COVID. I didn't have COVID. I don't know if I had this RSV thing or just a cold or the flu or whatever, but it was just like mm-hmm. sinus congestion that came and then went. Then I had the cough. Then the sinus congestion came back. Then I had an, an even worse cough, like just persistent mm-hmm. at night. So if you had something similar, I get it. It's It takes a while to recover. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on the on the positive note, I got through the whole Sopranos six, six or six and a half seasons. Oh, Jesus. Wow. <laughs> Talk about a binge. You're like, woo, yeah. let's go. You need to get out hiking. I, I can't carry all the weight here, but I've been out. I've been out. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I had plans, but I, they were foiled. Yeah. Well, I had plans too. Man, I think after I recorded the last show, before I headed down to Florida, I had plans to go to Grey Knob and do a sleepover on Mount Adams and that bomb cyclone snowstorm came through. When do we end up getting two feet of snow? No, it was, it was a, well, it depends on the area, you know, the North Country got a, a good amount. We got barely anything here in Thornton. It was a mishmash. Really? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So Total mishmash. I'm going to say, like, when I got to Appalachia parking lot, it was two feet of snow. Easy. But, um... Right. They were in the band. The plan... Yeah, the plan was my friend has a... Uh, my friend Jonathan, who I winter hike with, he taught me everything I know about winter hiking. He's got a place up in Conway, so... I drove up on Saturday morning. It was still snowing, but I was like, let me let me pick him up and then we'll go to Appalachia and then by that time it'll be plowed in or we can just shovel our way in and, it'll, and we'll figure it out, uh, which was a dumb plan. Turned out to be a dumb plan. So it was still snowing when I left my house at like Saturday morning at like four in the morning because I was like, I want to get there by, pick him up at seven, get to Appalachia by eight and we'll get up to grain on. So... I get up to 16, but I get past Green Mountain on Ossipee, and there's a tree across the road. So I had to turn around, oh, bummer. go the back roads up into Madison. I get on 153 in Madison. I go past King Pine um, Ski Ski Mountain, and there's another tree down. There's a cop there. He turns me around. I had to cut over to 113 to get back to Route 16. So it was like craziness just driving up to get to Conway. <laughs> Um, so I picked Jonathan up and we're like, oh, let's head over. So we stopped at Pinkham Notch for a second to go to the bathroom and, and, uh, he needed water. So we filled up with water. We headed down to the, uh, Appalachia parking lot and I start going past like 19 mile and I go past the great Gulf and I go past, uh, the imp and there's nothing's plowed and it's still snowing. And I'm like, oh man, this isn't good. Like maybe the parking lot's not going to be cleared. Then I was like. Maybe we can just park on the road if we need to. And then I thought like, well, if I park on the road, that's not going to be good. I don't think the plows are going to be too happy about that. So sure enough, we get through Gorham. We get to the parking lot and it hadn't been touched. There's not a car in the parking lot. Nobody had plowed. 
It was still snowing out a little bit, but I was just shocked that nobody had uh, plowed. Then I was like, well, maybe I'll call. I have this the ride. I have Mara, who um, is one of the uh, the local shuttle drivers. I was like, maybe I can go up to Pinkham, have her meet us there, and then drive us back down and drop us off at the parking lot at Appalachia. But then by the time we got that all done, it was like 10 o'clock in the morning or 9.30 in the morning. So we just decided to forget it. We just went up to Pinkham Notch, and then we were like, let's just do a day hike, and we'll go break trail somewhere. So we ended up just breaking Boot Spur out. So me and Jonathan went up, and we bo- we broke trail to Boot Spur. I decided I wanted to get home that night, so it just turned into a day hike. <sighs> And we we broke Bootspur out to about 3,600, 3,800 feet and then yeah. ran out of time. We were just like, let's just get back before it gets dark out. So um, it was fun, but oh. it definitely wasn't the trip I had planned. Right, right. Yeah. Bootspur from where? Where did you start? Pinkham Notch. So we went up Tuckerman. Oh, I got it. Got we it. went up okay. Tuckerman and there was a ton of people like getting the first run in down the Sherburn Trail and all that. Mm. So... We, we we just broke off across, went across the ski trail, and then um, we were like, let's see if anybody's gone up Bootspur, and maybe we can get to the sun, we can get up to the top. Nobody had, and we were like, let's just see how far we can go. And I think it was like one thirty, two o'clock, and we were like, let's just let's just call it a day. You know, we got some outdoor time. Mm-hmm. It was tricky though; it took us a while to get up to the ladder. There's a big ladder you got to climb, and you know, it was slow going breaking trail like that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, those videos you posted were pretty cool. Looked like a workout. It was a workout. It was a workout, but we paid our dues to the the mountains to break the yeah, trails. No kidding. Thank you very much. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. So it was quite an adventure. It was fun. I learned a lot, but I guess I'd be interested to get people's perspective if anybody has an opinion about like how to manage that situation. Like I feel like maybe I could have just parked on Route 2 and, and parked kind of near the the um the entrance of the parking lot and maybe it would have been fine because that section was plowed but i don't know what the rules are there anyway um but then i also got in so then after that i went to florida came back and i'm in my um winter 4000 footer list completion mode so i started my first winter hike of the season i went up and did whiteface pass a conway as a loop so i i recently hiked whiteface yeah and I've been all over Ferncroft, and we're going to talk about it in a little bit more detail in a few minutes, but um, I've been all over that area in the the past couple of months, so I just figured, like, I'll just put together my winter 4,000-footer, so Whiteface and Pass Conway are done. So did you go clockwise or up Dicey's? I went clockwise, so I took Blueberry Ledge Cutoff, because I I took Blueberry Ledge a couple of weeks ago when I did... Did did whiteface? Um, I've never done that. I've been meaning to. It's supposed to be nice. Yeah, the cutoff is like it's more like. Um, I mean, you get to the you get to the open ledge, basically the same spot as. You get to the first open ledge basically through that way as well. Maybe you miss one ledge. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But it's more like just going through open forest, and then yep. you do a quick climb up to the trail junction, and then. I went up Blueberry the rest of the way. Uh, I was bare boot until that first ledge, the first really tricky climb. And mm-hmm. I couldn't couldn't put spikes on anyway because it was bare rock. So I made it up that. Then um, 
made it up to the sort of the what people always assume is kind of the white face summit of that open section. And then right. once I got to the um, true summit, like it, that's when it started post holing and, you know, I was wearing micro spikes and it was just choppy ice. But I made it through that loop, had a couple of views. The, the ceiling dropped down a little bit, so the views weren't that great. And then ran into one one lady on my way up to pass Conway. And then three guys came and passed me with a dog. They were like trail runner people. So they flew past me. But um, but that was it. Those mm-hmm. are the only people I saw in pass Conway. Interesting. Yep. You get that glare ice on pass Conway at spots? Not so much. Not so much. Hmm. I took the I took Dicey's Mill, uh, Dicey's Mill Trail all the way to the summit, so it's a little bit of a switchback. Uh, it was melted out, so it was like it was like a, a moving stream. Parts of it, um, but in the past, I've gone up past Conway. I've gone from the other direction, which I think is the Walden Trail, and that's much more of a sort of rock climb to the summit. This mm-hmm. was a lot easier to get up. Yeah. But it was good. And then I came down Dicey's Mill Trail, and I think I was wearing micro spikes until about 2,200 feet. Then I took them off. And hmm. it was just mud and bare boot the rest of the way. It felt How like was a, that water crossing? Um, it was a little sketchy. I had to take, there's a, a fallen tree, and then yeah. somebody had laid a, a second tree on it. So I had to take that over. There wasn't any rock hopping because it was running pretty hot. So yeah, that was yeah. a little disconcerting to go over that, but the the tree was not slick. It looked slick when I was looking at it. I was like, this may be slippery, but it wasn't bad at all. I was able to just get good <laughs> traction on it. That's good. Yeah, that's the one thing about Dicey's Mill Trail, that one crossing can be generally running pretty well. Oh, it was it was running hot. And I almost mm. was like, I, the, what I was thinking, I was, I was like, maybe I'll put my spikes back on so that I can get more bite into the tree as I go across it. But yeah, yeah. I was like, well, I could also like trip myself up or get stuck. Like, you know, the spikes getting stuck into the tree. So I just beer booted it, went slow. There's another tree that's like leaning against it. So I could, I could, and that was firm. So I had one foot on the small tree and one on the big tree. And then I got halfway across and I was like, I think I have my balance. And I just went, I just went um, American Ninja Warrior across it. Awesome. Yep, nice work. So, well, but that's that's it. So, Whiteface Pass Conway are done. That means I have sixteen peaks left. Okay, I was going to ask. Not too bad. Not bad. Yeah, I think I got about ten hikes left. So I've got some one-offs. I've got to do Tecumseh. Mm-hmm. I've got to do Mount Tom. I need to do Cabot because we didn't. I thought I did Cabot in the winter, but that was actually a November hike that me and you did when it was snowing. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, I got to do Cannon. I'll probably finish on Cannon again. And then I got to do Owl's Head and Mariah. So I've got six one-offs that I need to do. Hmm. What about the Twins, Galehead, Bonds, and Zealand? Yep. Yeah, I got to do those. I think I'm going to do those at one. I was looking at the mileage for Galehead and the Twins. If you went out and you did Galehead and then South and North, that's about 15 miles total out. That's an out and back. Yeah. So, Zealand that's a long and Bonds. Day. That's a long day, too. 
<laughs> Zealand and Bond is uh, Bonds is a long day. I don't have heel on there too. I got to do heel, but some combination of like the twins, Gilhead, Bond, Zealand, heel. I've, I've got to figure out like how I'm going to do those. I might do an overnight, but we'll see how it goes. Hmm. Pretty cool. But that's what I got. That's what I got going for the next three months. All right. Well, let me know when you're at uh, Tecumseh. I'll join you for that. It's a, my new love. Yes, I can do that. Yes. Um, all right, so, so no hiking for you. Notable listeners of the week. No, notable hikers. Oh, boy. Our listeners, they've been out there crushing it. So we have Shandy. Uh, well, first of all, you can, you can tag Slasher on your adventure to be considered for Slasher's Hike of the Week, which is generally picked by Mike and or Mike and a guest. Um, no guarantees you'd be plugged. Um, this is, we haven't been here for a while, so we have a, a bit of a list, so it'd be fun to go through this. Uh, it's generally, generally not this long, but uh, Shandy did smarts after the storm and uh, hit Aussie Oler. Doki Pen and Trail Slippa broke trail all the way out to Owls after the big storm, and uh, they say it was a suffer fest. And oh, apparently bet. this is the... Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? So second round and single year 48 and 160 for the grid. So they are crushing it. Uh, Nick hikes and plays guitar. Did Mount Pemi, Artist Bluff, Echo Lake after uh, Cube Plan A was foiled. Sorry about that, Nick. It happens to the best of us. A Folsom hit a Winter Liberty. Those pictures are pretty cool. Steve Summits finished 48 on Moose. And apparently this is uh, full-strength Coffee's son-in-law, so a little bit of uh, family action there. Uh, full-strength himself did a 12-mile high cannon and South Kinsman. Sharpened the sword back again. Finished out 2022 with Cube. Cube's popular, huh? I haven't been out there. Cube's a great hike. Is it really nice? Yeah. That's cool. I'll have to check it out. Uh, Steve Summit's back at it again. So, oh, this is actually really interesting. Um, second Katahdin attempt ran into adversity. Um, let me get through these. And I, I, if you can give me a minute, I, I want to read you a couple things out of this uh, adventure that this kid was on. Sure. Uh, Brandon624 did the Walt Sticky Loop per stomp suggestion went counterclockwise. <laughs> I love this. I'm like, wait a minute. When did I suggest that? And I think it, I, in our conversation, I don't think I told him to go there, but he may have been referring to some of my own preferences, but uh, I thought that was sort of funny. Like, if you want to get yelled at, go counterclockwise. <laughs> uh, and then there's Maya Devaya. Sorry if I'm butchering that. So um, they did the Northeast Corner of Rhode Island, Buck Hill Yellow Dot Trail, Rhode Island, Connecticut Border Trail, Tri-State Trail, and Mid-State Trail for a whopping 750 feet elevation. Uh, Nick Hikeson plays guitar, did Welch Dickey again, uh, offering good traction tips. Definitely confirmed that uh, it was glare ice up there at the time. And then finally, full strength is back again, doing a, a, a dad-daughter hike. But um, let me let me just read a couple of these things here about Steve Summit. So he went back to Baxter for a second time uh, since 2014. Uh, back in 2014, he slipped on a rock before hitting Chimney Pond and turned back. This time around, they drove up, up to Millinocket and met up with a group of four. And... Um, they were planning on spending the night at Abel Campground and summiting the following day. They froze their asses off in zero degree temperatures that night in the lean-to. Uh, struggled to get going once the sun came up. 
The five of them took turns breaking trail up the tree line, and once they hit the exposed portion of A-ball slide it was on, the half mile of trail took us about an hour and a half due to the number of factors. You know, poor visibility, sub-zero temps, extreme technicality with crampons, ice axes, and every single rock was covered with ice from the rain a few days prior. So long story short, they end up reaching the top of the ridge uh, just 0.9 miles away from the Baxter Peak Summit, but it was already 2 p.m., and uh, that was their turnaround time, apparently. You know, they they say that they could have pushed further, um, but they were nervous about losing the trail above treeline and or having to descend all that technical terrain in low light. So long story short, um, they bailed and... They're happy they made it as far as they did. And uh, he was very impressed with the group that they were with and um, didn't give turning around a second thought. And I think that's the, the moral of this story. It's like uh, the mountains will be there another day. So good lessons there. Yeah, yeah. And that's, um, I don't know. I haven't done the um, Lion's Head Winter Trail, but I would imagine that it's probably a sort of a similar type of hike. Like it's, it's a lot oh, yeah. of work going up a ball in the summer or the the, the fall. So I can imagine yep. that it's probably craziness in the the winter breaking it out like that with uh, crampons and ice axe. Oh yeah, I can only imagine. No thanks, but we got to give him yeah, the hiker of the week. Yeah, 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 for sure. That that's you know making good decisions and um, trying to tackle a monster. It's pretty pretty notable yeah. for sure. Although breaking trail out to Owl's Head, that gets an honorable mention. Ow, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So you have a little history segment coming up, right? I do, I do. So I have, I've sort of noticed, like, I, I, do, I have this tendency to sort of, like, obsess on a particular area in the whites. And I think over the summer, yeah. I spent a ton of time in Evans Notch and tried to get as many trails in that area as I could. And for whatever reason, I've just been in this one, a Lancet, um, Whiteface, Passa Conway, Hibbard, Pogus, like this, basically the Ferncroft parking area, which is for me, um, and, and especially like if you live in the North Shore of Massachusetts and you're looking to do like the 52 with the views of the 4,000 footers and you're pressed for time or you just prefer to get you know, get your hike started early and get home a little bit early, or even if you want to start late, um, you know, you've got a shorter ride to get over to Ferncroft because you basically just have to get to Tamworth, take a left on Depot Road, and then drive maybe five or six miles down, and you get to that, you know, that that parking lot. And I also think Ferncroft, the, the you know, the drive in there is one of the most picturesque views, New England views that you're going to see. So I really love the area and. Um, you know, it's sort of a tale of two cities when it comes to sort of the crowds. Like anybody that's hiking Whiteface past Conway in the summer, you're always going to be dealing with a ton of ton of people. If you pull into Ferncroft and you want to avoid the crowds, just sort of make your way over to the right and you can head up um, like to the Walden Trail or um, any of those trails that take you to um, Hibbard or... Um, Pogus, any of those are, are very sort of out to square ledge. They're very quiet and not a lot of crowds. So I really love the area, um, but I wanted to just pull up a little bit of history on uh, the Wanna Lancet Outdoor Club. So I'll include this in the show notes, but the cool thing about this club is that they, they do a newsletter at least once a year. 
sometimes three or four times a year. They've been doing these newsletters since the 70s, Stomp. So they have like wow. newsletters that you can go back into and, you know, you can pick up a ton of historical tidbits about some of the, you know, the trail systems there, um, some of the people that the trails are named after and, you know, the whole history of the Wanalancet Outdoor Club, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? So, um, the first person, the first person I wanted to talk about is a historical figure is somebody by the name of Tom Wiggins. So, um, Tom Wiggins has a trail. So, if you go up Dicey's Mill. And, or you can also go to the Blueberry um, Ledge Cutoff Trail. You'll see a sign that will take you to the Tom Wiggins Trail. And the interesting thing about this particular trail is that it's unique in that, as far as I know, it is the only trail sign and trail that um, specifically discourages people from using it. So um, the hmm. trail sign says not recommended due to steep and... Um, unstable ground. Wow, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, which is interesting. So I think it's the only, like I said, trail that I know of that specifically says don't use this trail. My own personal history with this trail is the first time I hiked Whiteface, I went I went up this trail because I made the classic mistake of looking at the mileage and not looking at the um, the elevation lines on the map. And I took Caroline up there and I was like, well... Let's go this route because it's the mileage is much shorter, but I didn't realize that the the elevation gain was so significant. But we crushed it. You know, we had no problem going up it. <laughs> so it is basically uh, the trail takes you from the bottom of what's called the bowl research area. So within this area, there's like a research forest that um, is used to study forest forestry and forest growth um, in the White Mountains and. Dicey's Mills Trail basically takes you up the center of that bowl, and then off of Dicey's Mill, there's the Tom Wiggins Trail that goes up to uh, the Blueberry Ledge section of Whiteface, and it basically travels up through this sort of somewhat open forest. It's a lot of loose rock and scree stomp, I would say. It's it's very heavy with trees, but it's also like a sort of a scree field. A bit, so it does get a little bit loose, but um, a lot of trees to grab on. And you know, me and Caroline made our way up. And I remember thinking, like, for it to be listed as not recommended, like, I didn't think it was that hard. Mm-hmm. So, um, the trail makes it up. The history of this trail is basically that um, it was originally the, the only trail that could get you to. Um, it was the originally the only trail that could get you up to Whiteface. So um, originally, like the from the junction where Tom Wiggins hits Blueberry Ledge, that top section that's now called Blueberry Ledge used to be called the Tom Wiggins Trail. Eventually, the trail was just deemed too steep and dangerous for people to use. So over time, when they created the Blueberry Ledge Trail, eventually, because it's it's more of a like it stays along the the ridge the entire time. They decided to change the name of Upper Blueberry Ledge from Tom Wiggins Trail to Blueberry Ridge. 
All right. So in the 1890s, um, there was a, a very robust in uh, economy that was blooming all over one Lancet. Um, so there's a bunch of city folks that wanted to come up and experience the, um, you know, the, the mountains. The first trail was the Dicey Mill Trail, which was cut in 1891. Um, and that took you up to Passa Conway. Obviously, Mount Whiteface was looking right next to it and was very inviting. Um, at this point right now, the only way to get to Whiteface was uh, from Intervale. So you're talking about like a 16-mile round-trip hike. Um, and the only way up that mountain was at, um, I guess, Magrillis's, which was way over towards the Intervale section. Um, so a local innkeeper by the name of Thomas S. Wiggins was leading hiking parties um, in this particular area, and he discovered a new route, which he cut um, basically himself. So it basically cut the distance that you would take you to get to Whiteface uh, by about half. So um, Wiggins Trail was the first and only trail up Whiteface for a while. So the hikers from Wanna Lancet would use this new shorter trail, uh, but a lot of them complained that it was too steep, and um, they started calling it the Firescape. So by 1899, they had built the alternative Blueberry Ledge Trail, which immediately became much more preferable. Um, but a lot of a lot of the sort of heavy duty mountaineers did still focus on the Tom use the Tom Wiggins Trail. So um, it's a challenging hike. It's got a lot of ladder-like spots, and it's got proximity to this virgin forest of the bowl. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's singled out as the the sort of the club singled it out as not recommended. Uh, it's still it's sort of lost to memory on why they put the not recommended on the the trail sign. So it says not recommended, steep and loose. Um, but apparently, in the 1908 want a Lancet Outdoor Club Guide, It's it recommended that hikers should descend the Wigan, but the path is too steep to climb. At a certain point, the AMC guides reversed it and said that you can climb it, but do not ever come down it. So, um, hmm. you know, it runs down the fall line of a slope, so it's at risk for erosion. Uh, the treadway is really eroded, but it's 120 years old. Doesn't get a lot of traffic, so nobody's too worried about it. But, uh, hmm. but anyway, that's the Tom Wiggins Trail. If you're ever interested yeah. in going on an adventure, well, any trail that says "Don't climb me," I mean, gotta go now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, the other trail that. I thought was interesting stomp is when you get up to the summit of Whiteface and you head towards Passa Conway, you'll go past the junction of the Kate Sleeper Trail, which mm, is a connecting trail from the Wana Lancet trail system that takes you into the Waterville Valley um, trail systems of, of the Tri-Pyramids. Yeah, I've done it a handful of times. It's a beautiful, beautiful adventure. Yeah, yeah. So I um, was doing a little bit of digging about Kate Sleeper. So the trail is named after um, a woman by the name of Kate Sleeper, who was born in 1862. She died in 1949, and she was the founder of. I found this interesting. So she was the founder of. Um, you know, they called it Birch Intervale originally, but it was renamed to Wanna Lancet. Um, 
So she was visiting Tamworth um, at the time in like the 1890s, and she decided to open an inn. She was looking around. She eventually bought a 600-acre farm, which was the property of an early settler. Uh, the house was built in 1814, and Kate renamed it to the Wanna Lancet Farm. She was um, you know, pretty charming and energetic, and she needed help running the farm, so she was able to uh, get a young friend and some relatives, a gentleman by the name of Arthur Walden, to help her with the farm portion. And eventually, um, they ended up getting married. So there is another trail out there called the Walden Trail. It's unclear whether or not mm-hmm. that's named after Kate Sleeper or her husband. But the Walden Trail takes you up to Passa Conway from like the Square Ledge area back there um, as well. But she ended up getting married um, in 1902, and they ended up living together for you know a good period of time. She's described as small, blonde, blue-eyed. High-pitched voice, attractive, very social. Um, she was involved in the first service held at the Wanna Lancet Chapel and um, had a number of guests from Boston up at the inn. And uh, they would oftentimes hold sermons at the chapel. So she was involved in forming the Wanna Lancet Outdoor Club in the summer of 1891. And she worked with the AMC in order to get the club kicked off and you know they often would stay at her her inn so the AMC um, club members would stop off at her inn and essentially they worked with her to to make Wanna Lancet a much more easy access point to Passa Conway so that was their first goal was like let's get so that you can climb Passa Conway then eventually they opened up um White-faced. It was a pretty good trail system around Chicora at that time already. Uh, but once they built the Dicey's mm-hmm. Mill Trail, that opened up the access to Passa Conway. We talked about Tom Wiggin Trail, and then eventually, um, you know, there was a number of other trails: the Blueberry Ledge, Ledges Trail, uh, Lawrence Trail, and then you know, Kate Sleeper was built to. Um, you know, be the principal connecting link between the Wanna Lancet Outdoor Club trails and the network of trails that are maintained by the Waterville Valley Athletic and Improvement Association. So prior mm-hmm. to the Sleeper Trail, there was no direct path between these two. Um, the original trail was blazed by a gentleman by the name of Edward Rich, who cleared and cut um, this area and... He was a founding member of the Wanna Lancet Outdoor Club and also an early president. He was a respected member of the the community and um, had carried out a lot of negotiations with members of the community, neighboring hiking clubs, and officials responsible for acquiring the land. So this guy was a real player in the early build-out of the Sandwich Range. So he was a lawyer by trade and served as a general solicitor for the Boston and Maine Railroad. So um, mm-hmm. he definitely saw the vision around figuring out how to connect the sandwich range across from Wanna Lancet out to Waterville. So path leads uh, leaves the top of Mount Whiteface at Camp Shahadi in the northwesterly direction and descends to the source of Downs Brook at an elevation of 3,400 feet, which is the lowest point of the path. And then it goes over the three um, swells on the ridge that connect the two mountains. 
um, striking the south slide of Tri-Pyramid in an elevation of 3,500 feet. So pretty interesting that, um, you know, this, this gentleman, Edward Rich, built the trail, named it in honor of Kate Sleeper. Mm. It's such a beautiful trail. I remember, I think two summers ago, Nobby and I did uh, Whiteface to um, South Tri, and it was a nice day. But that uh, that Downs Brook uh, junction that you mentioned, that's a water source, actually. And it's fairly dry for the rest of the trail all the way out to um, Tripoli Road. But it's just very beautiful and remote. Not super difficult. It's very long and gradual. Those two sleepers that you come up and over, not too dramatic. Uh, but it's just a really nice, nice remote day. You're just way the hell out there. It's a, um, you know, the the newsletter here talks a little bit about how, um, especially like going back into those early 1900s, like you're four miles from... Um, Ferncroft and then you're like five miles from Livermore right on that trail and then you're going 3,500 to 4,000 feet along that ridge it's very like susceptible to blowdowns and you know to get up there and actually maintain and clear those blowdowns like can you imagine like in the early 1900s when they would have big storms like you know we usually get like these crazy storms every four or five years that cause huge blowdowns there was probably years where they would go through and not, you know, not maintain those trails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for those of you doing the 500 highest, the uh, sleepers are on the 500 highest list. So you're going to have to find your way out there at some point <laughs> to bag them. Yeah. And I've never been, I've never actually been on the trail. I've obviously crossed it before, but um you know, I guess there's been like a little bit of a directional change. I think like the original sleeper trail might have like basically come out a little bit lower on the salt slide than it does now. But, um, you know, it's been pretty, um, you know, pretty consistent, I guess, the direction. It, there was some logging out in the early 1900s that, that sort of redirected the trail over time. But, um, it's it's definitely a, a cool area, and like you said, it's like one of those areas where if you want to go and be really remote, mm-hmm. Kate Sleeper Trail is a good one. Yeah, good stuff. It's a popular trail. A lot of people say it's their favorite. I've heard that over and over again. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And Kate Sleeper, I mean, just to, to think about, like, she didn't get married, I don't think, until later on, so she was doing this innkeeping and... Um, organizing the hiking club or the the trail club and getting involved in sort of the religious life and everything to do with with this particular area on her own. So it's really interesting that, you know, you don't hear much about her, but she she led a fascinating life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, so hopefully that was an interesting stomp. Mm, Yeah, it was great. Yeah, and again, I highly recommend this area. I mean, from Mount Pogus to Mount Hibbard to Wanna Lancet to Square Ledge, Passa Conway, Whiteface, Kate Sleeper. I, it's just the, the trails out here are endless, and it, it's just an amazing area of the Whites. Love it. Mm. Now, can you connect Chicora all the way over to Waterville through the Sandwich Range? I think you can stop. I know um, the I, I'd have to look at at, uh, at Gaia, but that would be, yeah, that would be a hell of a day. 
Yeah, that would be a hell of a day. Cat's meow. That may be an adventure for the summer. <laughs> Maybe you and you, you and me sure can would. figure out a like a a Chikora to Waterville traverse. There's got to be oh, a sandwich range great. traverse that starts in Chikora. I'm assuming. Oh, there, there must be. Yeah, I remember talking about that at some point in the past, but. Um, Plans sort of went to the wayside, but that would be a nice trip. Yeah, Not too yeah. overwhelming mileage wise either. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I'm looking at it. You know what it is? It's it's the B. So I think you would have to take the um, Beeline Trail to Mount Pogus, and then mm-hmm. from there you can cut over to Square Ledge, Pass a Conway, Whiteface, Sleeper, and then you're on your way. Dump out, yeah. How many miles do you think? I don't know. I'll have to map it out. It probably looks like a good 25 20. miles or so, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Plans for the future. Plans for the future. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. All right, so we want to move on to uh, Search and Rescue? Yeah, let's go. Sponsor for this section. This is Vaucluse Gear. Back sweat sucks in all types of weather and hikes. Not only is it uncomfortable, sweat is a risk factor, causing your core temperature to fluctuate if it doesn't evaporate off your back. Check out Vaucluse's Cool Dry Backpack Airflow Frame, a backpack accessory that installs in your favorite pack sizes 18 liters to 65 liters and creates an airflow gap between you and your pack. Whether you're in hot or cold temps, even if you have a pack with a curved frame, the cool-dry frame is a real game-changer when it comes to airflow. So visit vaucluesgear.com to order a cool-dry frame today. No sweat for you, Stomp. Yeah, <laughs> I need it. All right. All Good right. Time. So uh, we got a couple of national stories here. Um Hiker hospitalized after making soup from poisonous forest mushrooms. This guy needs to go hiking with Jimmy Chaga to, to show him the way. Oh, my goodness. So this is in Israel. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, like, you really got to know your stuff if you're going to start fiddling around with mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. The men, um, all who are... All of whom are believed to be foreign workers ate the soup while hiking near Jerusalem in Israel last week. So uh, the men are suspected of having eaten Amanita proxima, which is a plain white colored fungus usually found in France, Italy, and Spain. It resembles many, many edible species, but it is extremely poisonous and is known to cause acute kidney failure that may require treatment with temporary dialysis. So two of the hikers traveled to Hadassah Medical Center in Jerusalem on Friday with symptoms of poisoning, and the third presented himself a few hours later feeling weak and nauseous. Uh, third man who'd been identified as a Chinese national was progressively worse over the following days, suffered from heart damage, kidney failure, and um, 
you know, there's really that they said is there was nothing left for them to do except connect him to a heart lung machine and dialysis. Wow. And That's um, you know, his condition deteriorated pretty quickly. So when in doubt, throw it out when it comes to mushrooms. <laughs> Words to live by, apparently. When in Damn. doubt, throw it out. Yeah. <laughs> no thanks. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Very good. So, stomp um, this next one here. I'm going to skip the rescuers who fell through the ice, and I'm going to go to sure. um, 10 people feared missing in Austria avalanche were found alive. So, uh, there's a cool video of this, and um, originally there was an avalanche that happened in the mountainous villages of Lech and Zurs in Austria, and originally... There was concern that these 10 people got swept away and were gone, but uh, luckily they were able to um, find these people. looks like they were ski guests that were taken right before the avalanche occurred. Uh, video mm-hmm. showed 10 skiers in the avalanche's path, and uh, they looked to be completely covered, but as workers were resuming the search, they were able to identify all 10 of them and, and save them all, so... Pretty, pretty nice. That's yeah, a miracle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was sent in by Gingerbeard Keen. Thanks, Mike, for the uh, the tip. Awesome. And then there's another one here that says rescuers die attempting to save someone who fell through the ice, but it's a whatever the link is stomp that you gave me. Oh, you know what? Now it's working. Perfect. So two men went missing under the ice in Wyoming's Keyhole Reservoir on Thursday while attempting to assist a rescue mission. Um, and unfortunately, they've been found deceased. So these two guys were helping out, um, and they ended up falling in themselves. So really terrible mm-hmm. story. But somebody had fallen into the ice in Keyhole Reserve while on a ATV vehicle. Uh, he was able to make it out of the water alive. But during that time, three more locals drove onto the ice um, and fell through themselves. I guess they mm-hmm. were trying to help out. One of the three people was found alive and taken to an ambulance Well. Um, the remaining two were not found. So, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, it's terrible. You know, they were able to recover them, but, um, yeah, it's terrible. There are a couple other local stories about that type of thing. So this time of the year is rough. You know, the, the, the ice has got to be thin. I'm, I'm assuming at this point. So you got to be so careful out there. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe Wyoming, like it's a little bit different, but I, I still think it's, it's just not worth the risk. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, so moving on to local New England area here, Stomp. Um, We might have a problem with these links, actually. Mine's working. Let's pause this for a second. So I'm looking for the, it looks like it's a Facebook link for Monadnock. Correct, yeah. I got it now. Okay. Lost hiker um, assisted from the summit of, you probably just, you will have to mark this at the uh, the one one twenty nine section. I just cut this section out like while I was fumbling around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no yeah. worries. Cool. All right. So, um, lost hiker assisted from the summit of Mount Monadnock after dark. So, this happened on December 17th at 4.10 p.m., Half hour of natural light remaining from the summit of Mount Monadnock. A solo hiker contacted New Hampshire Fishing Game via, via Cheshire County Sheriff's Office in need of assistance. 
Um, the hiker, 32-year-old from Norman, Oklahoma, advised that the rocky summit was completely cloud-covered and he may have strayed off trail above treeline. With the assistance of a conservation officer at the bottom, he was able to provide location information gathered on his phone, which was relayed to three state park rangers from the Department of Natural and Cultural Resources and a fishing game conservation officer. Those four people were able to um, ascend, and the hasty team of first responders immediately were able to get to his location. He was advised to keep himself sheltered as po- as much as possible and not move so the rescuers could find him. Um, there was some heavy snow, new snow coming in, high winds, freezing temperatures um, at the summit. So they were able to uh, locate this, this person approximately two hours after the first call. He was uninjured and able to descend with a rescue party to Monadnock State Park headquarters. So well outfitted for winter hiking, but inexperienced with uh, above treeline navigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Norman, Oklahoma. Ran out of light. Yeah, ran out of light. Like here, you know, this the is whole not. Thing. Yeah. So this oh. is not Oklahoma. Yeah, that's for sure. Not in Oklahoma anymore. You're not in Oklahoma anymore. So, <laughs> all right. So this next one stomp is the. Um, this is a sad story, so we referenced this previously. So this happened on um, Christmas Eve into Christmas Day. Overdue hiker was located deceased. This is another situation where we have a tragedy on Franconia Ridge. Um, heard this story, just brutal. So around 9 p.m. on on Christmas Eve, fishing game were notified of an overdue hiker. So this was a 28-year-old solo hiker from Salem, New Hampshire, Mm-hmm. He got on trail at 11 a.m. It sounds like he went up Old Bridal, up to Lafayette, and was coming across um, to Little Haystack. If I'm, I mean, Don't quote me on that, but I think that's what was going on here. Um, it was interesting that a family member in China was tracking the progress of this hiker throughout the day. Around, So the, the person left at 11 a.m., Mm-hmm. Family member was tracking GPS, so I don't know what they had on what they had. Like I, I know I've talked about this before. Like I have Life three hundred and sixty with my kids, so I can see where they are. Could be something right. like that. Sure, uh, I would assume so. Yeah, and at some point around six fifteen, the family member reported that the hiker's phone was going dead, and it appeared as though the hiker was off trail south of Mount Lincoln. So um, the hiker was described by family as inexperienced, and it was unknown what he was carrying for equipment. Um, so with temperatures getting to be zero, a search for the hiker commenced. 2 a.m. On, on Christmas, a team of conservation officers reached the ridge. Shortly after that, they located what they thought were the tracks of the hiker, these tracks continued off trail and ended up in a drainage that flows between Little Haystack and Mount Lincoln. Around 6.45 a.m., they located the body of the missing hiker about a half mile from Falling Waters Trail in Franconia. So it sounds like whatever he was doing, he was trying to basically cut down the drainage and get to Falling Waters. Um, didn't make it. I'm presuming hypothermia here. And um, you know, there wasn't any large-scale sort of search and rescue going on. This was a hasty team of conservation officers that um, basically 
went out on Christmas morning to, to help find this man and, and they were able to find him. But young man, yeah. 28 years old, gentleman by the name of Tony Lee, Salem, New Hampshire, apparently loved the outdoors. He was inexperienced in winter conditions. Um, you know, and it's just another case of a young person that I think just got over their head. The allure of Franconia Ridge just seems to be there's something about that ridge that people just feel like it's so accessible and they feel like they can sort of roll the dice with inexperience to get up there. But it's serious business up there. And it's just sad to see another one of these deaths stop. Yeah, you can take notes from the secondary article, too, from the Boston Globe, where they interviewed Jim Neeland, Lieutenant Neeland from Fisher Game who described Lee as inexperienced, a lover of the outdoors who enjoyed skiing and had hiked the White Mountains in the summertime, but was ill-prepared for the below-freezing temps. Quote, he did have some ice traction devices, but as for spare or extra clothing, he really had none at all, Nealon said. He was wearing goggles, but we could not find any kind of light source that would have aided him after dark. Just Simply just finding the trail markers without a light in pitch black is next to impossible. Um, Nealon said he believes Lee was trying to navigate the trails using a cell phone without a compass or paper maps as a backup. When the phone died, Nealon added it probably, quote, led him to go off trail. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's a very similar situation and story. You know, same themes that we saw with Emily sure. Sotelo, and it's like, you know, you don't want to be judgmental about these things, but there's just some basic you know, basic strategies that you need to undertake in the winter, basic, you know, clothing that you need with you. And, you know, if you're not experienced, like just utilize, you know, these, these meetup groups, try to network, get some friends, try to go with somebody that knows what they're doing. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you're an inexperienced hiker and you think you're going to go out in the winter and you got no, you got nobody to go with, like just, you know, send a message to our Instagram or Facebook and we'll, we'll try to hook you up. You know, it's not our, not something we want to get too excited about doing, but we will if we need to, but we just don't want to see another one of these tragedies. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. This is something that we'll talk about when Ty gets here too. Because there is a question in the back of my mind in terms of are we doing what we can to educate certain generational groups? You know, every generation learns somewhat differently. And I'm wondering if we're tackling certain generations properly or correctly or if we're just totally missing the mark. So that's sort of an interesting discussion to have. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure that out. Like, is it like you know, even this format of podcasting, like I feel like anybody that's going to listen to a podcast like this for an hour and a half, two hours is typically going to be a hardcore hiker that's driving up to the mountains and they just want to, you know, think about hiking and they're into it. Like, you know, how effective is it? Like how likely is a, a young person that, you know, maybe hiking is a passion, but not their primary passion. You know, are they going to listen right. to this podcast and, and learn lessons or are they going to go on a TikTok video? You know, who, what and- what's more effective? Right, right. And even Facebook, all these hiking groups that, or, or pages that we're familiar with, younger kids aren't even on Facebook anymore. So there's no value there probably. So how are some of these younger individuals learning uh, or maybe they're just getting missed? Like um, in my research, I can't wait to talk about this. It's going to be really interesting, but um, it seems like the whole hiking buddies thing 
is probably one of the more effective modes for the younger generations, you know, just, just, they like being in a, a peer group setting like that. And, uh, um, different from, you know, say you and I, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it cause it's very interesting. I even wonder like, how, how are they getting the hike safe concepts across to people? Are we doing it the best way that we can? So it's an, I think it's an important topic. Yeah. Yeah. It is like, it's a marketing question on how, how best to do it. Yeah. And the, even in this article, it talks about how, um, you know, there's more than a hundred new warning signs of trailheads around Mount Washington, alerting people to possible changes in weather and conditions near the summit. Uh, but even then they still feel like, you know, there's these, these reckless behaviors. I mean, you had those two people that were charged over by the watcher, you know, which is again, Franconia Ridge area that, you know, Law enforcement was upset enough about that situation to basically say, like, look, we we really, you know, saw reckless behavior and it's worth a fine. Mm -hmm. So. Very sad. Yeah. Yeah. And this article does like the the total number of rescues they talk about, um, you know, 168 in 2019, 173 in 2020. Um 183 rescues last year so those all sort of line up with what my numbers are as far as the media reported like it seems like the basic pattern is that a little over half get media reported and there's a number of missions that they do that are sort of walkouts or or you know navigating people out through phone calls and things like that that don't make the media but they're still pretty busy Mm -hmm. what was your take on the number that they posed there 21 or 22 deaths per year. I saw that. So there's a there's a Boston Globe article that talked about um, how there was 21 um, hiker-related deaths in New Hampshire last year and that that's in line with uh, past years, which I think that's an error. I think what that is, I'm, I'm very confident that that number is not correct. I think it's closer to, you know, six to 10 per year is the average when it comes to hiking and climbing. I think what they did was they got the total number of deaths that are tied to all the activities that fishing game is involved with. Um, Could be. Which I think involve like snowmobiling, ATVs, uh, right, right. fishing, you know, ice accidents, things like that. I think that that's what that number is uh, mm-hmm. versus the that hiking. Makes ones. sense. So, yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, it is interesting. I, I was curious about where they got those numbers from. All now right. We're so going to Mount Musalauke. Musalauke. Yeah, that was the one that I hiked actually right before <laughs> uh, heading out to. New Hampshire, so medical emergency on Musalaki, um, December 28th, New Hampshire Fishing Game notified of a hiker suffering from medical emergency. So this was a 22-year-old hiker from Arkansas. Um, she was with two friends that had started their planned hike around 1.15. So again, another one of these late starts here. Uh, they parked off a ravine road and hiked up to the summit via Gorge Brook Trail, so as the three were getting to the summit, uh, this 22-year-old hiker felt ill. The group was able to begin their descent, but it became clear that she was unable to walk on her own. So the two friends had to stop and reevaluate um, this 22-year-old hiker's condition frequently while they assisted her down the trail. So good for them for moving forward and trying to get her out. 
Um, Conservation officers responded to assist down the trailhead. Luckily, they were able to get her most of the way down. So again, the, the... the hike started at 1.15, uh, around 6 o'clock they got the call, and then the parties were able to get to the trailhead parking lot around 8.15. Sounds like conservation officers were um, just beginning their hike in when they ran into her. Mm-hmm. So she was brought to Spear Memorial Hospital by Linwood, Linwood Ambulance Service for further evaluation. So they said the group was prepared. They had proper clothing and layers. They all had headlamps and had looked at the weather. So, you know, kudos to them. Who knows what happened? Maybe a little blood sugar, maybe something else, but they're going to get this 22 year old looked at. Good. Yeah. Wishing her the best. Yep. Um, and then going back to Mount Monadnock, we've got multiple searches. Yeah. So we've got multiple searches conducted in the Monadnock region. So this is on December 30th uh, and December 29th. Uh, fishing game was called to Pigsga State Park. Two men had been operating trail bikes on a hiking trail um, where OHRVs are not permitted. So I'm not exactly sure what these trail bikes are. It sounds like they may be powered vehicles. So one of the riders experienced a mechanical failure on Pisga. Ridge Trail, and I know I'm going to, like, the pronunciation is probably wrong on this, but um, near the summit of Pisgah Mountain. is that, Do you know how to mm-hmm. say this? I'm not sure. It's, I, I, that's a good guess. You're hanging me out to dry here. So it's Pisgah Mountain, I'm going to call it. Well, attempting to fix the mechanical problem, the young man sustained a serious hand injury. They had no lights on their machines, no flashlights, no warm clothes or technical gear to survive the freezing temperatures. So Hinsdale and Win- Winchester Fire and Rescue responded to the scene and they entered the Kilburn Trail Loop and they were able to rescue these two individuals around 6.15. They got them to an ambulance and they were on their way by 7.30. So hmm. shame on them for riding their vehicles when they're not supposed to. Yeah. And then the next situation was um, around the same time, around 7 o'clock in the town of Dublin, there was a um, person that doesn't really give a background on them, um, female hiker from Gardner, Mass., had been hiking the Pompelli Trail when she lost her way and found herself off the marked trail. Um, This hiker had lost feeling in her feet. She was showing early signs of hypothermia and was unable to navigate um, after being lost for hours. So this one was a close call. Um, Mm, Conservation officers, yeah, they had to leave the response that they were dealing with in Pisgah and move over to this search and rescue. So they were able to luckily get the GPS coordinates from the 911 call received by this hiker, which placed her in a swamp approximately a half a mile from Millbrook Lane. And the search was conducted by conservation officers who were able to locate her. They assisted with warm clothes and were able to walk her out um, to an ambulance around 9 o'clock. But she was treated for hypothermia and was transported to Cheshire Medical Center. So close call on that one. Very, yeah, very she was out there for hours. My goodness. Yeah, yeah that's scary. Super close call. Yep. And Good job, fishing game. 
Yeah. It's crazy how busy it is right now. It's Oh, yeah. When you look historically, like at rescues in like December and January, there's usually nothing going on. This is like crazy busy. (laughs) It's true. December 31st, uh, ice climber assisted by nearby climbers after being struck in the head by falling ice. So um, Mountain Rescue Service, Fishing Game, responded to Willie's slide in Hart's location. I don't know where that is. Is that just oh, Mount Willie, below Mount Willie? Yeah, the, the slides, when you're coming through the notch heading towards Bartlett, the slides on the left. Okay. Oh, yeah. And yeah, the yeah. right. Yeah, that's yeah, those right. those massive slides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, first responders yeah, located... Um, 37-year-old gentleman from Dover, New Hampshire, who was being assisted down the trail by his climbing partner and other climbers. Um, This gentleman had been ice climbing when a falling piece of ice struck him in the helmet, resulting in a head injury. So this is why you wear a helmet when you're doing ice climbing. Um, There was another group that assisted lowering the, the gentleman to the base of the slide and then assisted him down the trail. So this guy's an experienced ice climber, had all the right equipment and gear, and um, I guess the recent warm weather has made ice unpredictable, and officials urge climbers to use extra caution when venturing outside, but um, good thing he had a helmet on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most do. Yeah. It's rare to, to not see a climber out there without the helmets. Yeah, exactly. And then this last one here, this was on December 31st as well, around 6 p.m. on, oh no, this is December 30th, 6 p.m., injured hiker on Falling Waters Trail. Uh, This was a 63-year-old lady from New York. She had slipped on the ice and sustained a non-life-threatening injury about a quarter mile up Falling Waters Trail. So who knows, it could have just been a tourist poking around up there too. Um they were able to carry her out to the trailhead with the assistance of some good Samaritans. And quick one, she was out of there by 6 o'clock. The call came in. She was on her way by 7.30. Yeah, I mean, it was just, just basically past the, the bridge of Fallen oh, Waters. Actually, yeah, yeah, no, in the, in the article it does say her and her husband had spent the day hiking Franconia Ridge Loop, and they were mm-hmm. well outfitted, outfitted. So she just wiped out in the last quarter mile. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> excuse me. It happens. That's bad luck. Well, those are the calls that you appreciate. Like, ooh, this yeah. quick and easy. Yeah, exactly. So um, one reminder for the listeners that it is around January 1st now, so now's a good time for you to buy your hike safe card so you're covered for the entire year. And mm-hmm. um, just keep that in mind. It's really easy to just grab that, help out the, uh, the search and rescue fund. Absolutely. Yeah, that's all I got, Stomp. Anything else? 2023? No, I look forward to uh, chatting with you and Ty soon and uh, getting up on Pierce with who knows who, <laughs> all 40 of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just remember, ah. if you're going to join a cult, make sure that it's a cat cult. <laughs> right. Free Daphne. Free Daphne. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. 
You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know where they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us. <laughs> <laughs>